passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your UFC 286 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Eric Marcotte. And tonight... That's all I can say. Tonight, we are doing a post show for a card that started uh, almost eight hours ago. Some real uh, PFL vibes for you, was it not today, Eric? As I, I don't know what to say. I liked the early main card start, but <laughs> this felt really long when you're sitting down at 1230 for the first fight, and here we are at uh, almost 830 Eastern. These 15 fight cards are absolutely brutal. <laughs> I mean... I, th- I feel like 10 fights is perhaps a-, a nice amount of fights for one of these big pay-per-views. 15 fights, six fights on the fight pass prelims. It's it's far too long. This show really took its toll on me with uh, its eight-hour length, which isn't uncommon. I can't act like this is a rarity. This happens all the time. No, no. This I will say that this beats doing this show at 1.30 in the morning. I will say that. But yet usually whenever you see these marathon sized cards uh almost without fail there's like one to two fights that you know are just going to fall off someone's going to get someone's going to miss weight someone's going to get hurt there's going to be a illness the day of the fight it's never going to be this number by the time but this one uh if there was an injury someone was replaced and we got all of these fights uh, a lot of decisions on this card um but but some good fights mixed in there as well including i think one of the better fights of the year uh that we will get to um and it wasn't on the fight pass prelims, but we have a lot to discuss. If you do want to chime in with a super chat, you are welcome to do so. If you uh, caught today's UFC 286 card and hey, thumbs up. If anyone watched all the fights besides myself and Eric, I even gave Eric the warning. I didn't think I would get in all the prelims, but I did manage to watch all the fights today. And uh, thus, uh, thus we are here to go through all of them. Let's start with the main event, Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. And what was your thought going into this fight, Eric, of 
what Kamaru Usman was going to do differently this time? And and did you expect him to change a whole lot when so much went right for him in the last fight, minus a head kick? I didn't expect Kamaru Usman to do a lot different. These fighters have fought for roughly, what, 40 minutes combined going into this fight, and Kamaru Usman probably won 35 of them. So it's been a one rivalry up in this fight. With that being said, Kamaru Usman's now 35 years old. He has bad knees. Uh, he's coming off the first big knockout loss of his career. I did expect the fight to play out somewhat differently, but I was definitely still favoring him going into it. Well, this was a very interesting fight to watch. The The first round, you know, you can see both. They're being very tentative with, with one another, and it's Edwards that starts off going for leg kicks. And this would be a big part of his offensive weapons throughout the fight uh, with, with the, these leg kicks that just... Uh, th- throughout this fight, he ended up landing uh, 50 leg kicks to Kamaru Usman's six. So that was a, a big point of contention uh, between two. And then we have our first of many fouls by Leon Edwards in this fight. The first one being as Usman has him against a cage and Leon Edwards puts his finger into the glove of Usman, which is a big no-no, and Herb Dean catches this, and he is given a warning by Leon Edwards, and this would be the start of multiple fouls uh, to, to to Leon Edwards. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of cheating throughout these first couple of rounds, most of it inadvertent, mind you. I don't think he ever uh, intended on uh, kicking Kamaru Usman low like three times, but uh, that was how the fight was playing out, and the story of the fight in the early goings, really. Well, thankfully, uh, Edwards' takedown defense was more evolved than just grabbing the guy's glove uh, because he had a lot of answers for Kamaru Usman's wrestling. And once he could shut down the takedowns, or if he was taken down, didn't have to exert too much energy to get back to his feet. Like, they had drilled this very, very effectively. Into the second we go, and Leon Edwards kicks him low after the, these inside leg kicks are getting a little too inside. Um but then an, another part of Leon Edwards' game that we see uh, introduced here in the second round are these knees that he would fire up the middle. And, dude, I don't know how uh, Kamara Usman's head didn't bounce into the third row at, uh, from some of these knees. I think the one in the second was the, the, most, uh, the, the most flush that he connected. But, dude, these knees did not miss when Leon Edwards chose to throw them throughout the fight. No, and eventually they were getting big reactions from Usman, who would kind of uh, break away from the clinch uh, exchanges very quickly as opposed to further trying to engage him in the pummel in the clinch. So it was a strategy that really paid off for Leon Edwards, even if it didn't result in him ever uh, hurting Usman at any point. Uh, Usman does manage a takedown here, but it uh, he goes to the back and then Edwards is up to his feet, but does take several strikes against the fence before going away. And then it's a it's a left hand by Edwards and Usman landed more uh, during the round. But I, I thought that knee was a pretty devastating blow. How did you have the second round? This was one of many very close rounds. Uh, I gave the second round to Usman. It was very close. I thought he was a bit more effective with his offense and outlanded him by uh, a pretty significant amount, plus that small amount of control time, which doesn't really factor in. But all in all, I thought it was a better round for Usman. The third, this was uh, certainly the round that was going to 
change people's scorecards up because Usman gets a takedown and he's in half guard and then switches to the back and Edwards is grabbing onto the fence to stop another takedown. And I mean, this is not like, oh, my hand brush, dude. He's holding on like he's a uh, Sylvester Stallone and cliffhanger. Okay. He was holding on for dear life to not get taken down. And Herb Dean is like, dude, I'm sorry. I've got to take a point away. I don't blame Herb Dean in the least here. Um, so uh, Usman um, is, you know, theoretically ahead in this round and you get the point deduction. Um, but Edwards had a pretty good accounting for himself the rest of this round. Again, the leg kicks. At one point, they throw out the stat. It's like 27 to 2 for Edwards by this point. Uh, Usman lands with a right elbow at the end. I thought this was a really, really close round. And it's unfortunate that such a close round could have such a variance in the scores. But I did give this one to Usman. So after three rounds, I had it even uh, going into the fourth Um did you give this round to Usman? I gave this round to Leon Edwards. Uh, Usman started the round off strongly, but I thought after the foul, Leon Edwards really picked it up and did a bit more damage. But uh, we had the same scorecard regardless of us uh, having different rounds, both at 28-28 going into the championship rounds. I like this. You and I are both taking uh, – I'm on Google Maps and you're on uh, Yahoo Maps. And we're still – we're going to the same destination, I think, but taking different routes there. The fourth round um, – Usman uh, slips but pops right back up and Edwards he's just being very consistent at this point with the leg kicks his significant strike percentage they noted was like 70% that he was landing and Edwards is up as soon as he's uh, taken down and then lands his uppercut uh, to Usman and that sets the table for round number five and the fifth round um Edwards is throwing his head kick. It's partially blocked. And later after the fight, he would state that, you know, he was gearing up for this, this head kick. He was going for the encore presentation from the last fight. And he's throwing uppercuts, uh, having a lot of success on his feet, using his jab, another knee right up the middle. And he stops the takedown. Usman does get him down off of the cage for his fourth takedown. But again, Edwards is up and just drives him back into the center. After five rounds, I had it 48 to 46 for Leon Edwards, the welterweight champion. Your score was? I scored it 47-47. I gave Kamaru Usman the final round on my scorecard. I thought Edwards had a lot of big moments, but a lot of those shots were actually being partially blocked by Kamaru Usman, while a lot of Usman's offense was finding its target as he constantly pressured forward. So I thought he did enough to take that last round. I I still gave three rounds to Edwards, but with the point deduction Mm -hmm. taken into account, I had a draw. Well, the judges had it, uh, two two judges agreeing with me, having it 48-46, and then one having it the draw, 47-47. So Leon Edwards wins by majority decision, and Colby Covington had been the mystery backup fighter that weighed in on Friday, and he's in the audience, and you can see that they are so clearly trying to direct everyone's focus to Colby Covington as the next fight. Fortunately, Leon Edwards was not in on this plan because he dismissed Colby Covington as, no, I don't think he's, he's ready at all. He's been out for a year. No, he just, he didn't give any oxygen to this idea. And it was like just the air out of the UFC's promotional balloon. And, uh, f- first of all, just like Colby Covington just seems like such a joke here at the end. This was so funny. The UFC were pushing so hard for Colby Covington here. They even gave him a post-fight interview immediately after Edwards and Usman left the octagon. Um, 
And Edwards gave it no time. He's like, that's not interesting at all. This guy's going to want to fight in two years. It was against Jorge Masvidal. Who cares? And he's right. Colby Covington does not deserve a title shot. But uh, the entire setup of it was very funny to watch play out live. It was the opposite of what we saw two weeks ago when it was John Jones calling for Stipe. And there's Stipe in the crowd who he had no interest, it appeared, in that fight. Even though he does want the fight, uh, showed no interest in it uh, on, on camera two weeks ago. So uh, Leon Edwards wins. Kamaru Usman uh, shut down any talk that he was retiring, stating he's not done. He was very respectful towards Leon Edwards. And Daniel Cormier said, there is no doubt in my mind that you two will see each other again. I definitely have doubts in my mind that we will see these two fight again at 35 years of age. Uh, listen, Kamaru Usman, it, this was a very close competitive fight, but I think as much as Leon Edwards to me has, I thought he even looked better. He certainly looked better than the second fight. And Kamaru Usman, I, I thought looked, you know, inferior from the second fight as well. I think, um, a Kamaru Usman at his peak wins this fight. And I just don't know if we are going to be in a, a rush to see Kamaru Usman back in a, in a title fight situation. So he, he's in an interesting spot in this welterweight division because, I guess we will see in his next fight who he is matched with and sort of where this guy is going to settle as a top five gatekeeper or if he can work his way back to a title fight. But 35 years of age, like that is you're getting up there at this point in this weight class. 35 years of age. He's had a pretty lengthy run in the UFC now. Uh, He's had some serious injuries. He's definitely slowing down in some regards. And yet I remember it was only six months ago where he looked as though Leon Edwards was... 10 spots ranked beneath him. That's how much better Kamar Usman looked than Leon Edwards before the finish there. So is this fight uh, an abbreviation from the norm where, yes, Leon Edwards was the better fighter tonight, but is, is that going to continue as they play out? I don't know. I don't think enough time has passed yet for us to write Usman off completely. With that being said, his window is closing quickly. So if he's going to come back and fight for the title again, he needs to do exactly what he said in his post-fight interview, get back in there quick and pick up some big wins. Of the available challengers that are out there, I mean, if we are uh, discounting Colby Covington, which I feel the UFC is going to be, that is going to be their choice of what they are going to push hardest on Leon Edwards. Uh, Beyond that, you're looking at Bilal Muhammad, uh, the winner of Masvidal and Gilbert Burns, I don't think you can throw out the idea of Jorge Masvidal with one big win getting thrown back into the title picture. And the guy I would like to see is uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, but I think he's probably going to be getting one more fight before we're talking a, a title fight. But you, you certainly have some great options at 170 pounds, even if it's not going to a Colby Covington. But that that is the one, uh, Eric, I, I have a sneaky suspicion is going to be the one that Leon Edwards is ultimately going to be uh, fighting next, regardless of when his last fight took place. It's definitely the fight that UFC wants, and they made that very clear. Uh, Hamza Chimaev remains an option, too. The UFC wants him to move up to middleweight, but he's out there saying, no, 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 welterweight, welterweight, welterweight. So... If he comes back and has a big win, I think they'll gladly give him a title shot as well. Will he make 170 pounds? Uh, he'll make 170 pounds within a 10-pound allowance. How about okay. that? Okay, we can have the Hamza Chimaev uh, rule set uh, attached to it. Um, how, how did you feel this this fight was overall as a main event? This was not a fight of the year. It was it was certainly a close fight. I thought it was. Uh, I, I was intrigued by it going in, but uh, what did you think just in terms of uh, entertainment-wise? 
Yeah, it wasn't like a, a wild war or something, but I don't know if I'd even want to see that between these two fighters. This was a very high-level fight, and I thought both guys showcased uh, why they're the two top welterweights in the world. I thought it was a really fun, really tense fight, too, especially after their last bout, where that threat of the high kick was always in the back of your mind. So uh, really good stuff. I enjoyed the main event. Yes, so 13 rounds between these two by the by by this point. Uh, well, if you want to round up uh, from, from the last fight. Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fiziev uh, at 155 pounds. Fiziev, a minus 230 favorite coming into this fight. And this first round, I mean, it didn't take long for us to see that this was going to be another in the, in the long list of uh, classics from Justin Gaethje. And, dude, the speed of Rafael Fiziev is something else at 155 pounds. I mean, this guy looks uh, – I mean, he – just to uh, go through his his UFC run, he had that that brutal loss to Magomed Mustafaev, where he his head was sent into outer space. But then came back and won six in a row uh, afterwards. He was coming off wins over uh, Moicano, Bobby Green, and Brad Riddell. Uh, while Justin Gaethje has just had classic after classic after classic with the who's who at 155 pounds. So um, I, I think rightly so, everyone was very excited for this fight going in. Yeah, what I mean, you, I feel like you could put Justin Gaethje against literally anybody, and I'm going to be excited for it. Uh, this fight in particular, we knew it was going to be a banger because we knew Fazev was going to stand with them for the entirety of the fight, which is uh, pretty much exactly what we got here. <laughs> that That is what we got here. Although Gaethje did shoot for a takedown in the first round, doesn't get it, but uh, throwing out that little tease for later. Uh, Fazev uh, drilled him with this knee near the end, and it's Gaethje just throwing everything he's got in in the final seconds of the round into the second it's Fiziev that starts attacking the bodies pretty significantly and I was was amazed at times at what uh, I shouldn't have been surprised but nonetheless looking at these stats dude 52 body shots that Rafael Fiziev landed and a lot of those were just these brutal kicks that Gaethje just ate uh, over and over throughout this fight it, it was incredible there was an eye poke to Fiziev, and then it's uh, Gaethje that starts turning it on with a big combination. Um, he gets hit by another combo, and Gaethje lands pretty much as Fiziev is throwing. Gaethje is just matching shot for shot, and then gets his jabs going, and has cut up Fiziev around his right eye with two cuts. It, it was a close round, but I had it 1-1 after the first two rounds with uh, Fiziev getting the first, Gaethje the second. I had the exact same scorecard. Early in the fight, it looked like Fiziev was just going to overwhelm him with his speed but in those brutal body shots that you were talking about. But as the fight progressed, Gaethje started to improve more and more, and his leg kicks were slowing Fiziev down. This was wild. Like, this was Gaethje that you look at this guy and you assume, like, this is a fighter that just can't keep up this pace. This was the opposite, that he just got stronger as this fight continued, even though the numbers just made this uh, illogical that he was having this in his gas tank. And the third uh, was a phenomenal round for, for Gaethje here. Uh, Fiziev rocks him with a knee to the body and does stun him early. And this is looking like Fiziev could uh, end this. But Gaethje gets composed and he just starts putting his strikes together. He teases another takedown and he's jabbing him up. Right hand, uppercuts connecting. And then he lands this huge uppercut with 30 seconds left. And then as the ultimate F you to his critics he gets a takedown at the end of the fight his one and only takedown in ufc history and i had gaethje winning this uh this third round i did not give it to him 10-8 as one of the judges did 
No, this was nowhere approaching a 10-8 round, an insane scorecard. But yes, Justin Gaethje definitely took this round, and I thought he took the fight. He got the majority decision victory, 29-28, 29-28, and yes, the aforementioned 28-28 scorecard uh, with a 10-8 third round for Justin Gaethje. So, I mean, this was a fight that they kind of told us during the the fight was that you have this almost like inner circle of lightweights that it's just you can mix and match and it's all these great fights, but it's very hard to sort of penetrate this circle. And this was Fazeev's chance. I thought Fazeev had a great showing for himself. I did not think his his stock went down at all here. Uh, but for Justin Gaethje, this is someone that, you know, th- this was a important win for him to stay at that level. And I think he's going to get a lot more opportunities with fewer wins in this division that the idea of putting this guy into another title fight. I don't think he has to jump the hoops that some other the, he is not on the Benil Darius track to a title fight for sure. He doesn't he's no. the opposite. Yeah, he definitely isn't. The, the uh, top three of your contenders at lightweight, which kind of consists of Dustin Poirier, uh, Justin Gaethje, and Charles Oliveira, they're all in a very similar spot where these guys have been around forever. They're three of the most entertaining fighters ever, and people are starting to come for those spots. But uh, they're all still there, and I think they're all. some people are starting to write them off because these guys coming up at lightweight are incredible fighters, but... Uh, none of them have shown any signs of slowing down and they're going to be hard guys to knock off if, for those younger fighters who want to get those title shots at Islam Makachev. So who are, who are you matchmaking Justin Gaethje with? And uh, is it going to end up being uh, Conor McGregor's replacement when USADA can't uh, come to an agreement with, with Conor to get uh, get his, his allowance to fight? Uh, you know what? I don't think we're getting Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler too so soon, but why not Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier too? Now, that's a fight that happened quite some time ago, and uh, you can main event a pay-per-view with that. People will pay to see that fight, so why not? Yeah, it's, you know, we have the Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush fight coming up in May. Uh, Chandler is going to be tied with Conor McGregor, and God knows when that fight is going to happen. And, you know, outside of that, it's... It's kind of wide open of where a Justin Gaethje lands. Like he's ranked third here on these uh, UFC rankings. So, I mean, it, I, I don't know how much he's necessarily going to be incentivized to just fight someone way outside of his ranking versus just sitting back and waiting for a big fight. But I mean, just the, the idea of fighting Fazeev, you know, he was down several slots in, in the rankings as well. But, you know, when you see guys like a, a Gamrot or a Sarukian, I just don't know if those fights really make sense for uh, Justin Gaethje. And he could sit back, and if there's an injury or something, he would seem to be that guy that could just jump on board and get a big fight at that weight class. Yeah, I mean, we had Gaethje try to defend his spot in the rankings here. We had Dariush do it not too long ago. Charles Oliveira is about to do it. Poirier is the one guy who's kind of been sitting on his spot for a while. So uh, I I think the next move for Dustin Poirier is going to be the big one for lightweight contendership. I like that option. Um, I don't know if these guys for their uh, life expectancy uh, are going to be craving that that rematch, but it's it would be an excellent fight. And I agree with you. I think you could headline uh, a pay-per-view with that. I'm I'm at this point now, too, where I don't even care if they want to just throw an interim title at these guys for whatever reason. It's like, just do it. I don't I don't care at this point about the titles and such. But um, yeah, we shall see. I mean. The same questions exist for uh, Islam Makachev at this point that you have, you know, Oliveira and Darius, you assume, is uh, for a title fight. But, like, do we really see Oliveira getting a fight with Islam if we're talking about um, 
if it comes down to Oliveira and Gaethje and Islam needs an opponent, like Gaethje could find a pathway to this title fight uh, ahead of Charles Oliveira. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a giant demand for Oliveira and Islam after that fight was pretty conclusive. No, uh, Gaethje would definitely jump the line over uh, Charles Oliveira in that situation. Now, if Benil Dariush wins, I do think the UFC might actually go with Benil Dariush, as crazy as that sounds. The the prospect of the UFC actually giving Benil Dariush a title shot uh, as he's in the midst of a 35-fight win streak or whatever he's on. But uh, I do think that may be the most probable direction if he is to beat Charles Oliveira, which is a huge ask, may I add. It is. It's a big one, and there's also Dustin Poirier out there as well. So it's um that 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 is certainly somebody that would would have a uh, a stake to this this claim as well. Uh, I love this fight. I thought this was uh, the fight of the card, and another classic from Justin Gaethje uh, in in this fight uh, or in this career, we should say. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you. Well, thank you. Gunnar Nelson and Brian Barberina. Uh, Gunnar Nelson. So he came back last March after uh, years of inactivity, getting a decision win over Takashi Sato. So it's been a whole year since we last saw Gunnar Nelson. And both of these men uh, have something in common. They have losses to Leon Edwards. And Brian Barberina, we last saw him against RDA, where he was submitted back in December. And this fight... Nelson was uh, eating a ton of calf kicks, and then he gets his takedown, works into half guard, and then he's dropping elbows, and you see him get to mount, and the announcers are noting, unfortunately, he's only got 24 seconds, but when it comes to Gunnar Nelson and Brian Barberina, that's all Gunnar Nelson needed, because he moves quickly to an arm bar, and Brian Barberina taps out with nine seconds remaining in this round, and Gunnar Nelson gets the victory, and... Gave a Gunnar Nelson post-fight speech. What are you going to do next? Don't know. Not sure. Thanks, Gunnar. We'll see you in a year. Uh, The only thing we were missing was Joe Rogan on commentary throughout the fight going, Oh, Gunnar Nelson, he's so stoic 20 times over. But uh, (laughs) it it was there in the back of my mind, at least. Yes. um, He... I, I don't know really what to say about th- this fight. Uh, like to me, Gunnar Nelson, I think there was a time that he was a rising prospect. I don't know if we're still there. Like welterweight is very deep. And this guy, he's just been plagued by a lot of inactivity that I think if he wants to get on some kind of a run, he's going to have to do it now at 34. Um, it was a good win against Brian Barbarina, but I think this also shows sort of the ceiling for Brian Barbarina because once this one got to the ground, it was, it was Gunnar Nelson's world, and this uh, did not go well for Barbarina. It, it looked like Gunnar Nelson just sat down uh, maybe 15 minutes before the fight. He watched uh, Brian Barbarina <laughs> versus Rafael Dos Anjos and said, oh, I can just take him down and instantly beat him? Okay, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, Brian Barbarina is a super entertaining fighter, but he has holes in his game, and they're holes that a fighter like Gunnar Nelson is going to easily be able to exploit. The guy has more submissions than anybody 
Jasne. Jennifer Maya versus Casey O'Neill Neil at flyweight. So Jennifer Maya, she had uh, previously fought uh, Valentina Shevchenko numerous fights ago, and she's coming off a decision win against Marina Moroz last November, while O'Neill is unbeaten in the UFC and last beat Roxanne Modafferi last February with a split decision win. Um, this was... Uh, Largely a boxing contest for Jennifer Maya. She was landing big exchanges. Both of them were landing early on, but it's Maya that sort of distances herself with her jabs and uppercuts, busts up the nose of O'Neal in the first. Into the second, a lot of movement from Jennifer Maya. She's mixing it up to the head and the body, and very hard for O'Neal to get a read on her. And Maya continued this throughout the round. On the break, landing a big elbow and a jab at the end. Uh, Sorry, O'Neal landed the jab at the end. Into the third, this was when O'Neal finally sort of got going here. She threw a head kick and then she's controlling the round landing with her left hand and Maya fights for a takedown. Can't get it at the end. And it's O'Neal landing, landing several big shots at the end of the round. So Jennifer Maya gets the unanimous decision victory. Uh, how did you have this fight scored, Eric? I scored a 30, 30 to 27 for uh, Jennifer Maya. Casey O'Neal was never out of this fight but I never thought she was entirely in it either. Uh, every time she was always pressuring forward, but she was getting boxed up every single time she closed the distance. I had no idea Jennifer Maya had this in her. She looked uh, phenomenal throughout this fight. Her hands looked better than they ever had before. And she really won this fight, a fight in which her opponent was favored without much difficulty. Yeah, Jennifer Maya went from a fighter that in the Valentina Shevchenko era, you'd pretty much written off as she got her one chance at the title and that would be it. And a new champion coupled with a performance like this, and it certainly gives a whole lot of new life for Jennifer Maya. This was maybe her most impressive performance, I I, I would argue. I had it 29-28. I did give the third to O'Neal, but um, you know, I, I was leaning certainly towards O'Neal in this fight. So Jennifer Maya was a, a big surprise uh, performance in terms of uh, just what you expected going into this one. So the flyweight division is wide open now with Alexa Grasso as, as champion. Don't know if that is going to uh, propel Jennifer Maya, but certainly somebody to... I think the idea of her eventually getting back there a lot more plausible now than it was uh, a couple weeks ago. And opening up the main card was Marvin Vittori against Roman Dolidze. And Michael Bisping told the story of after the Robert Whitaker loss that he talked to Marvin Vittori, who was so beaten down by this loss and just what what went wrong. He made no excuses. And then days later, got on a plane, went to Thailand to learn striking. Yeah, learning striking is very helpful for MMA, I hear. So that was a good call by him. Yes, uh, they put, he put it to the test here against uh, Delize, who is coming off of uh, four straight victories, had stopped uh, Jack Hermanson in his last fight. Uh, Vittori, I mean, I was fairly certain looking at this record that we were probably going the distance here with in Marvin Vittori fashion. Uh, it was Delize in the first round, landing several big strikes. And, you know, Vittori is, is standing with him. It was several big rights near the end by Delize with these overhands that were, were landing pretty consistently. In the second, uh, Vittori was heavy on the leg kicks and jab. Uh, the overhand rights are being thrown by Delize, but not having as much uh, connection as the first round did. And it's Vittori ending the round with, with a big left. 
To the third we go, and Delite tags him with a right hand, follows it with a jab, and Vittori continues with the jabs. Some big shots from Delite, and Vittori uh, is just tearing up Delite's leg with these kicks. Very close round at the end. I I went 29-28 for Delite. How did you have your scorecard, Eric? I scored the fight the exact same way as you. I, I gave the slight edge to Delize, who I thought was just landing with more power and uh, more immediate impact whenever he did connect. Um, it was a very close fight, though. I, I thought it could have went either way. Let me tell you, my favorite part of this entire card was when Marvin Vittori was walking to the card, uh, walking to the octagon. UFC always puts up like these fighter stats showing off their accomplishments, and they and they show Marvin Vittori his top thing, 11 first-round finishes. And I'm like, you are selling these people a false bill of goods because this man <laughs> has not finished a single fight in years. His UFC run has been a never-ending streak of decisions. He does his not last- hit very hard and has an iron chin. This man will never go anything but the distance. <laughs> 11 of his last 12 fights have gone the distance, and now 12 of his last 13 have gone the distance. So yeah, a very misleading <laughs> stat when it comes to Marvin, Marvin Fireworks Vittori. Um, <laughs> but they read the scores out. 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27 for Marvin Vittori. Um, I'm with you. It was a close fight. A 29-28 is, is cool. To, to me, to watch this fight and you give three rounds to Marvin Vittori, I think the, the probability of that is so minuscule that you could, I, I could see two rounds going to Vittori and I wouldn't agree with you, but, uh, I, I could see that for sure. Like the third was a very, very close round and I gave the second to Vittori, but all three, I, I was. Very surprised uh, that someone gave the first to him, but Vittori gets this win. It was an important win for him, and uh, Delete say this uh, this ends his little run here, but um, not a first round stoppage. Uh, absolutely shocking. The odds were uh, weighed heavily in favor of the first round finish, and it just didn't happen. Uh, Marvin Vittori is kind of in an interesting place in the division now, in the sense that he's either beat or lost to pretty much everybody who's a relevant fighter in the division. There isn't, and he's uh, only twenty nine, and he's had yeah, like his he's run a young guy. of the middleweight division. He's a young guy, but he's been around a while and he's fought everybody. So I suggested perhaps Driscus Duplessis in his next fight, which is a fresh matchup against the, a new possible like contender but there aren't a lot of options for Vittori at this stage of his career well I think it's very clear who he's rooting for in this middleweight title fight in a couple of weeks because an Adesanya win uh not good news for Marvin Vittori because I don't think see him getting a third fight with him Marvin Vittori fully believes he's beat Israel Adesanya twice okay so I'm, <laughs> so sure, I'm sure he's welcoming that third fight <laughs> Let's go to uh, some of the undercard fights. We had Jack Shore against Makwan Amerikani, who at one point, Amerikani was thought to be like the next big European star for the UFC. And things have not gone that way for this man. He's lost four of his last five coming into this, coming off a TKO loss to Jonathan Pierce last July. Meanwhile, Jack Shore is 16 and one, a minus 500 favorite. And he had um, one loss. Um, which was in his last fight with Ricky Simone and he was moving up to featherweight for this fight. He thought that the weight cut was too much at bantamweight. So coming up in weight and the first round here, it's a, Amir Khani landing with knees to the body against the cage, and then a right jab connects. He gets the takedown, and he's in half guard uh, on top of uh, Jack Shore. So a, a good round for Amir Khani, and then things 
turned a 180 as Jack Shore just starts striking. And, dude, he could not miss on Amerikani here. Short uppercuts, jabs. He's just throwing, and it's a magnet finding Amerikani's face. He gets a body lock takedown, moves to mount, and then he locks in a choke and submits Amerikani at 427 of the second round. So Jack Shore improves to 17-1, and getting his... Uh, uh, win here in his UFC featherweight debut and not a, a a pretty costly loss I would say for Americani at this point who you, you certainly have to question what his future is in the UFC a solid bounce back win for Jack Shore and this for Americani this was just the most Americani fight ever he looks really good for five minutes and then it all kind of starts to fall apart so the the potential really was there with him and it just didn't materialize. He was super charismatic and yeah, you, you were just like very high on this guy, but it's ultimately did not materialize for him. I think this is a really tough loss for him at, at this point. Chris Duncan and Omar Morales. I'm going to nominate this as the worst fight of the card, Eric. Um, this was a, uh, this was quite the uh, performance here from uh, Duncan. Uh, so Chris Duncan is making his UFC debut, coming off two fights on the Contender Series. And Morales, uh, this is his seventh fight in the UFC and is coming off losses to Jonathan Pierce and Uros Medic. In the first, it's uh, Morales just checking kicks and catches the kick and drops him with a right hand. Duncan is landing with leg kicks. There's a flurry by Morales, and Duncan did seem stunned here. And Duncan returns with a big shot near the end into the second, and Duncan goes for the takedown against the cage. Morales escapes, and Duncan is continuing with leg kicks and just racking them up. Morales continues blocking takedowns, and the third round, it's a round of control by Chris Duncan, who gets the takedown, holds them against the cage, and they get back to their feet in the final minute. Morales does get a body shot in, but then Duncan just takes him down again to end the fight, and uh, I gave this uh, 30-27 for Chris Duncan. He got the split decision win on scores of uh, 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27 for Morales. So I'm uh, personally, I'm always a fan of fights where the loser gets a 30-27 card. Uh, that, those are always my favorite fights. I scored it uh, 29-28 for Morales. I, I thought he looked better throughout the first two rounds. And, well, it, it wasn't a great fight. The first round was kind of fun. But after that, it just became uh, Duncan trying to wrestle against Morales, who was desperately trying to get whatever off when he could. It, the, the final 10 minutes of this fight really dragged. And I didn't really care about the decision by the time it was read. This was three rounds that felt like 10 uh, watching it. Then it was Sam Patterson against Yanal Ashmuz. And this was one of the most devastating finishes this year so far. So uh, Ashmuz drops him with this right-left combination. And at this point, it looks like Patterson is done with this combo. Instead, Ashmuz gets on top of him. And I watched the replay. At minimum, he lands thir 13 unanswered strikes to the head and Patterson is so out of it. Mark Goddard finally stops this fight at a minute 15 of the first round. It was a rare call out by John Anik, just screaming that this one was way too late to end. And do they go and typically when there's a brutal knockout, they don't show the loser as he's struggling or he's out cold on the mat. They have the camera on Patterson as they're helping him up. 
he not only doesn't know where he is, he has no balance. He, for all he knows, is still in the fight. This guy was messed up for many minutes after the, this fight. This, this was a brutal, brutal stoppage, and th- this guy took way too much damage. Oh, yeah, this was absolutely brutal and uncomfortable to watch him uh, try to recover as well. Listen, I'll give Mark Goddard a bit of credit here. In real time, I think it was a lot harder to call than watching on the replay. So I'm not actually too harsh on his decision here. But when you watch, it's clear this guy ate way more strikes than he needed to. It was a very brutal finish. Yes, very uh, most vicious on the on the whole card. So it is a. Uh... Ashmoos, who was making his UFC debut as well. He had fought on the Challenger series for PFL, so he he was used to these eight hour cards. <laughs> uh lucky him. Yeah. But uh not 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 a smart cage though. So Yeah, we have no idea how quick his strikes were. How how sad. How much distance was uh was uh captured. Mohamed uh, Mokayev and Jafel Filio opened up the uh, the televised prelims. Uh, Mokayev is only 22 years of age, but is seen as a big prospect at 125 pounds. He is 3-0 and already in the UFC. And uh, Filio making his UFC debut after fighting in Chudo, Brazil, and uh, coming off a win on the Contender Series. So Mokayev in the first round... Uh, is nearly caught in a guillotine, but it really was not that much of a threat. Mokayev gets out. He gets top position and uh, moves to the back, is threatening there. Pretty dominant round for Mokayev. In the second, Filio does better on his feet. He's defending the takedown, but then Mokayev gets a single leg and works in his guard. Third round we go, and Mokayev immediately gets the back, and he's working for the choke. Uh, Mokayev continues with takedowns. He's controlling this. It seems like this is just... um uh you know, putting in minutes until he's going to get this decision. And all of a sudden, Filio goes for the knee bar. Now, I am so numb to these knee bars because if there's one submission that every UFC broadcaster loses their mind over, it's a knee bar that nine times out of 10 is not threatening. But Joe Rogan is like, lose. Oh, oh, oh. And he's like, the guy's fine. Like, he's just maneuvering. This was one where it was the one out of 10, where this was so deep. And Mokayev is, he's moving out, but this, he is just contorting this leg of Mokayev. And somehow he escapes and his leg is destroyed from this. They're against the fence and Mokayev manages to get the rear naked choke applied, submits Filio with 28 seconds left in the fight. And then you see the real damage done because he gets up after submitting uh, Filio and he cannot put weight on this leg. He is limping. Dude, his knee might have just been destroyed here, but uh, Mokayev gets the win by rear naked choke. But this was a, a near upset as Mokayev was the minus 800 favorite in this fight. The vast majority of this fight was nothing to write home about, but the last few minutes were absolutely insane. How he withstood the pain of his leg being completely hyperextended for that period of time is beyond me. And to come back and finish the fight with one leg just moments later is absolutely remarkable. Uh, Just a hell of a finish. And I have no idea what the extent of the injury to his leg is. He might be out for quite some time, but... uh, He's a name that people will remember just because of the heart that he showed to fight through that knee bar. 
Yeah, my non-medical diagnosis is not good. That would be my my assumption of his knee. So uh, Makayev is ranked 12, so he still has a, a ways to go in this division. But I, you know, at 22 years of age, I mean, this guy, this guy will fight for a championship at one point, uh, barring any significant knee ig- issues. But um, he could certainly go up several spots after after this fight. And uh, yeah, we will see what what is next for him. But um, you know, he's he's got. A ton of uh, upside potential, and I'm sure we have not seen uh, the finished product yet either. And he he might have a a potential opponent uh, that was calling him out on the undercard. So uh, we're not going to spend too much time here on the early prelims because there were six of them. And uh, we'll go through these uh, quickly. Larone Murphy won uh, by split decision against Gabriel Santos. Um, this was a very close fight. I had uh, Santos winning the first two rounds, and then it was uh, Murphy uh, with the third round. And uh, Murphy, though, got the split decision. 29-28 on two scorecards, and one did score it for Santos, uh, 29-28. How did you uh, score this fight? I had a 29-28 for Santos. Uh, both of these fighters looked really good, though, and I thought this was the best fight of the entire pre- preliminary portion of this card. Really entertaining stuff. Very good stuff. Like Gabriel Santos, uh, he was a replacement for Nathaniel Wood, and he was the former LFA featherweight champion. He looked very good in this uh, in his UFC debut here. So um, I agree. I, I thought this was the best fight of the of these six. Uh, certainly was not uh, CLD. Oh, CLD. How could I forget the uh, good old CLD on the early prelims? I, I think you've got to earn that that uh, acronym, okay, before before you get to, you know, compress your name. Christian Leroy Duncan was making his UFC debut here. A lot of hype behind him. He was the Cage Warriors middleweight champion, is 7-0 and as a pro against Dusko Todoric. And uh, this fight ended uh, prematurely because uh, they were fighting against the fence and... CLD is uh, has his back to the fence, and all of a sudden, uh, Todoric just plants his right leg into the mat as he pivots, and his right knee goes out, and he flops down to the mat. It's waved off. CLD is confused. He doesn't know what's going on, and it's waved off at a minute 52 of the first round, and CLD improves to 8-0. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently CLD is a very entertaining fighter. Uh, I hope to actually see that in his next one. This was over too quickly, but, uh, CLD is how he will be exclusively referred to for the remainder of his career by me. I've I've never, I'm never referring to his full name again. It wasn't just the casual mention. It was like the commentary team were going on about how much they loved it and how much they wish they came up with it. It was, it, it was insane. It's like John Anik introduced it and Daniel Cormier loved it and they just ran with it. Jake Hadley and Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon missing weight by three and a half pounds. And Michael Bisping mentions as he's walking, just casually mentions that, yeah, I usually don't have too much, uh, too much, uh, understanding of guys that miss weight. But Malcolm Gordon did tell me he had some health issues. It's like, oh, health issues. Could you elaborate, Michael? Bisping says that according to Gordon, he had been having problems in camp where he had been urinating small pieces of his liver. I don't even know if this is a thing, but I can tell you, again, my non-medical opinion, that sounds really, really bad. If you're peeing out parts of your liver, number one, how, if that happened, Eric, would that be, oh, is that my liver? 
Like, I wouldn't even know what that is that's coming out of me. I would certainly be going to the emergency room ASAP, and I don't know if I would be keeping my fight on as scheduled if I was peeing out small portions of my liver. And he said this, like, so calmly. Like, he said this with the same energy as he would. He's got a new striking coach. This is one of the most horrific things I've ever heard on a UFC broadcast that was said in a completely casual tone. Is that I, possible? I didn't believe what he said when he said it, but no, no, that is in fact what Michael Bisping said, that Malcolm Gordon said. And you know what? From the way in which this fight played out, I think Malcolm Gordon was telling the truth. I think he's been peeing out uh, pieces of his liver. So uh, completely disturbing. I don't think he should have been fighting. This is a weird sport. Yeah, I thought that the um, the stinger that Cody Garbrandt fought through of two weeks ago was pretty insane. This takes the cake, though, for uh, fights this month uh, that probably should not have happened uh, if you're Malcolm Gordon. Hadley drops Gordon after two body shots, which Michael's Bisping connects to his health issues and that he went after the liver. So Michael Bisping connecting the dots uh, as our analyst and uh, drops Gordon after the second body shot and finishes him with hammer fists. In 61 seconds, he landed 10 significant strikes and uh, Hadley gets the TKO win after 61 seconds and then calls out Mohamed Mokayev, who he stated at the post-fight press conference, has been ducking him for seven or eight years, which the guy is 22. So he's he's been ducking him since he was like 14 years old. What a coward. So, I mean, Jake Hadley shooting his shot here. I don't know if he's going to get it. Mokayev kind of dismissed him like he was Colby Covington. Um, but this, I, I was just floored by the state of uh, Malcolm Gordon's health uh, coming into this. And then, yeah, the body shots finish him. So... I hope Malcolm Gordon gets fully healed before we see him in a in a cage again. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the uh, I don't know the audio of hearing Michael Bisping saying urinating out pieces of his liver is going to live rent free in my mind for a very long time, and I rather wish it wouldn't. There was a lot of pee talk from Michael Bisping tonight, including the uh, the phantom uh, groin strike that wasn't, and uh, Michael Bisping said that was his hip. Are you sure that was his hip? Well, I I don't know about you, I don't pee out of my hip. Uh, Michael Bisping's mind was in a very specific place for the majority of this card, I suppose. Joanne Wood and Luana Carolina at flyweight. Uh, they went the distance here. Joanne Wood getting the uh, split decision win. Um, first round, good round for uh, Wood, although she was absorbing knees from the tie clinch from uh, Carolina, but then she starts landing with her jab. Much more of the technical striking coming from Joanne Wood. Uh, second round, elbows landing for Wood, and then there's a knee to the body. Wood's output is slowing down, and Wood nearly lands an illegal knee on Carolina, but it missed. And third round, they're fighting inside the clinch, more knees from Carolina, close round on the feet, but a trip by Wood and then uh, lands an elbow right at the end. I scored at 30-27 for Wood, and the judges went uh, 30-27, 29-28, and they had a 29-28 card for Luana Carolina. So Joanne Wood gets the W. I had the same scorecard as you. I really didn't think the fight was that close, but, but I mean, you know, all over the call. Uh, early fight on the preliminary portion of the card, it mostly escapes my mind. Well, I know you were uh, still had Jay Herbert and Ludovic Klein on your mind, which uh, was our lightweight contest. Uh, they went the distance here, majority draw. Um, so what happened here was that 
I had Herbert winning the first two rounds, and then in the third, we get a pair of groin strikes landing by Herbert, and finally, they take a point away from him. So this ends up being a 9-9 round. So you either would have had it 29-27 for Herbert, um, which is what I had, or... 28-28. So those are pretty much your two scorecards here. Um, but two judges had it 28-28. So a majority draw. Don't know if they're going to run this one back. I don't think the uh, that anyone was clamoring for the rematch. Uh, I scored a 28-28. Uh, agreed with the judges there. Uh, I'm not clamoring for a rematch. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing these two run it back anytime soon. And our opening contest at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Lunch, as we call it here on the East Coast. Killer Ju- Juliana Miller, the winner of Tough Season 30 last summer, taking on Veronica Hardy. Uh, this is at 125 pounds. And um, Hardy was a plus 320 underdog, did not fight like it. Um, I did not watch uh, Tough last season. Eric, did you watch Tough? No, I saw the Tough finale, but I didn't watch anything from the actual season. So I cannot speak about Miller, but she fought. Um, I-, I thought she looked poor in this fight to put it mildly like she just looked outclassed uh in this fight hardy has not fought in three years uh she was the better striker it just seemed like um miller has she's got a ground game but her her stand-up is just not ufc level um she just got torn up here by hardy and it was even when they went to the ground like you would have miller like scrambling for positions but nothing that was of any substance and Hardy was more than able to defend. She could hang on the ground with her. And yeah, it was just to, to me like a very easy 30, 27 uh, scorecard for, uh, for Hardy here as she gets the nod. Uh, easy 30, 27 for Hardy uh, and easily Hardy's best performance in the UFC. Miller did not look UFC level at all here. Um, Hardy was, she had a, a fairly lengthy leave of absence prior to this fight, some health uh, related reasons. But prior to this absence, she was regarded as being near the very bottom of the division. Now, perhaps she's made a lot of changes and she's a much better fighter now. We're not going to be able to really know until her next fight, but keeping her prior status in the division in mind to look for Juliana Miller to come in and look so poor against her is really, um, listen, she's only had four professional fights. Tough is kind of not exactly what it used to be. She might not be ready for the UFC right now. Yeah, it's, you know, it is for some fighters, like the idea of you're fighting in the UFC without even five pro fights, like it's going to have significant drawbacks. Um, And it's that that like you are going to be thrown into the deep end. And I wouldn't even call this the deep end of the flyweight division when you're talking Veronica Hardy. So uh, I I, I don't know. Hopefully this is a performance that uh, Juliana Miller uh, bounces back from because I I thought she looked really bad in the, in this fight. So that was, that was the card all uh, 15 or so fights uh, that, that were happening. But some interesting news also coming out of this card is that Anderson Silva, the latest member of the UFC hall of fame class for later this year, joining Jens Pulver, and Jose Aldo, uh, a clear, you know, slam dunk pick to put into any MMA Hall of Fame. And I guess for you, Eric, how do you go back and look at the career of Anderson Silva? And how do you sort of contextualize those, I, I would say, last fights where he certainly was, you know, on the decline? But I mean, somebody that, you know, for a long period of time, you could put right at, as the top fighter in the sport. And some would still maintain that position for him. 
when I started watching MMA or even like knowing anything about the MMA world, I was probably about 10 years old, maybe. And Anderson Silva was in the middle of his lengthy championship reign. And I think the second card I ever saw a fight from had Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin on it. Oh, my and, God, dude, the, that night he just destroyed the soul of Forrest Griffin. And Anderson Silva looked like a real life superhero. This man who fought, he is the cockiest fighter in the history of MMA. He fought with his hands down, taunting 24-7, just throwing out slapping jabs, uh, just dodging strikes instead of blocking them. And he looked invincible because he was successful all the time. He felt like a superhero. There's nobody I've ever felt in the sport who had an aura quite like Anderson Silva in his prime. He was such a creative, charismatic fighter. The spectacular fashion in which he would finish, what, 14 of his 16 fights on that lengthy win streak, uh, a win streak that still hasn't been topped in the UFC after all these years as well. Uh, just a spectacular talent, easily one of the greatest fighters in MMA history. And I always thought that the UFC Hall of Fame was lacking a great deal of legitimacy by not having him in there. Yeah, when you look at th- this past year, look at the turnover of champions of just th- this past year in the different weight classes. And here is a guy who held that title from October of 2006 to July of 2013. That is a remarkable run of any era and somebody that was so influential for so many of today's fighters, maybe like Israel Adesanya near the top of that, of uh, just so many fighters that I think got into the sport inspired by Anderson Silva. And, you know, it was, it was very unfortunate. I, th- I think that the drug test is, is a big mark on, on his career. And, you know, it's cer- certainly fights that, you know, you saw this guy kind of this mythical figure that, became human in the in the welterweight division but then he leaves the UFC and it's like he creates this you know secondary career for himself in boxing up until the Jake Paul loss um do you see another uh fight involving Anderson Silva in boxing or even in MMA yeah I think he'll come back and do something else at some point I I never really got the sense from Anderson that he was calling it quits after that last one Uh, he's old he's like 47 years old at this point and keep in mind when he lost his title after his lengthy win streak he was like 38 he was very old when he went on the decline like his peak as a fighter started when he was around 30 years old and he kept this up far longer than really anybody who's on top right now. Like to keep things in mind, he was like three years older than John Jones is now when he finally lost his title. So I don't really look at those last few years of his career uh, being a 40 plus year old fighter fighting the likes of Daniel Cormier and Jared Cannonier and Israel Adesanya as a huge black mark against him. And, and the Cormier He's, one on like three days notice as well. Yes, on a few days notice. Um, he He was always very a very charismatic individual, which has helped him in this later portion of his career as well. A very strange character. Don't get me wrong. He's a very weird guy, but uh, very likable in his own way. He he was one of the bigger draws for the UFC during a period of uh, time as well. When we reflect on his rivalries with the likes of Chael Sonnen or Vitor Belfort, or even the second fight against Weidman, the first one, not so much, but the rematch. The first, uh, the, the fight he had with, with Vitor in 2011 was a huge fight in Brazil, and you couldn't have asked for a better finish with that front kick. Um, that, I mean, the positive was an all time 
highlight reel knockout. The downside was Steven Seagal gaining more of a foothold in, in MMA after that finish. But that, that was a huge fight. Obviously the rivalry with Chael Sonnen, that's probably the opponent he'll most be linked to. One of the all time greatest comebacks in, in a fight. Um, I just remember being in a bar for that fight and that place lost its mind when Anderson Silva, like this just to me, it was even more impressive than the Leon Edwards uh, comeback last year. To me, it was a, he was done. He had been beaten each round by Chael Sonnen and it looked as though Chael Sonnen, it was a countdown to this guy winning the title and boom, he gets caught in a triangle uh, with just minutes to go in that fight. So that, that was a classic moment. Um, there, there, there were many of them. The Forrest Griffin fight, I mean, that was such a big deal because here's Anderson going up in weight as well to light heavyweight and just schooled Forrest Griffin. I mean, that to me was, um, uh, you know, many memorable moments with him. When it comes to uh, your all-time list, where is Anderson Silva for you? Um, Okay, I'm, I'm going to spit all this off the top of my head, all right? So we have George St. Pierre. We have John Jones. We have... Demetrius Johnson, Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva. So I'll, I'll put him in the top five. Maybe Fedor Emelianenko's in there as well. So you can take one guy out, however you want to do it. But I, I would have him as a top I five. Think that, I think that's fair. I think sport. most would have Silva in their top five. I think that that would be where where he would land for for, for most people. So it, it's a very good class this year when you add Aldo and Jens Pulver as well. And presumably they'll – well, it, it always differs each year of like if they put all the categories in. I guess we don't have a fight of the – uh, of one for the fight wing yet, which they could put in. Oh, still plenty of time for all their announcements. We still have yes. what, like four months to go. Before we get out of here, let's just look at uh, next week the fight night card. This is a very good fight night card, and it's not at the apex, so there's a cause for celebration right there. They are in San Antonio with the uh, much anticipated Marlon Vera Corey Sandhagen fight at bantamweight. Uh, bantamweight is just on fire at, at the moment, so that's a really big fight in the weight class. Holly Holm is back against Yana Kunitskaya, Andrea Lee against Macy Barber, and Chidi Enjokawani against Albert Durev. Uh That is the main card, and we are going to – what are you thinking of the uh, main event next weekend, Eric? Vera and Sanhagen. Uh, the, the, main, the main event is awesome. The main event is a fight that is going to be super entertaining, and I'm glad it's taking place in front of an actual crowd. The rest of that main card sounds horrible, though. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I've kind of oversold it here. I was looking at this card earlier, and it was uh, – I think I'm mixing this up with the pay-per-view that looked uh, a lot a lot better here, but – um. Yeah, Holly Holm and uh, Yana Kuniskaya is uh, number two on, on this card. We will see what happens there. The pay-per-view, I think this is what I was referring to. So we have Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. This is April the 8th in Miami. Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. Rob Font against Adrian Yanez. Kevin Holland is taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, Raul, Raul Rosas Jr. off of... Uh, the contender series. I think he's, uh, 14 years old. He is going to be fighting on this. Calvin Gastelum and Chris Curtis, Michael Chiesa, Michelle Watterson. So an interesting, uh, pay-per-view card. If all of this stays together, um, it's going to be a very interesting test for Alex Pereira. Does he have Adesanya's number or does Ad- <laughs> it's like Pereira, honestly, like if he wins this, it's such a more interesting weight class because this guy's beatable against any contender. Uh, whereas Adesanya, um, you know, I think Adesanya is so much better matched against all of these contenders, but uh, for whatever reason, like Pereira has been his kryptonite. 
things are definitely a bit more fun if Alex Pereira manages to win this one. I, I'm, even though he's beat Israel Adesanya three times in a row and stopped him twice, I still favor Israel Adesanya going into this fourth fight. Uh, as crazy as that may sound, uh, it's an interesting fight, though. I don't I'll know go so far as to say, that. Eric, if Adesanya loses again here, I still feel they could fight again for the title within a year after this. Like, it, I just yeah. feel they're, they're going to put Adesanya in, like, just best of, like, 12 or something. Eventually, they can move to a different sport. They can, like, uh, grapple in jiu-jitsu competitions, and somehow Alex pa- Perez will still slap. manage to win. Power yeah. slap, sure. Whatever yes. works. Uh, hey, Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez. That is the fight on that card. That will be a very, very good matchup. And I've been really high on Yanez. That's a big test. That's a big step up, Rob Font. But I think he's going to be game to it. He's a really talented fighter. All right. So that is the next time we will have a post show uh, that weekend. UFC 287 that is happening in Miami. You can always catch Eric's work up at postwrestling.com. And the man lives in the post wrestling discord with many of our regulars. So if you want to hit up Eric, you are more than welcome uh, to do so. Anything else you want to uh, throw out there, Eric? No, no, I don't think I have anything to say, John. Nothing to say at all. Let's see if we have uh, some bonuses here for, for tonight. What, what got fight of the night in your opinion? Uh, I, I uh, really hard to call, but something in me says that Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fazeev probably won fight of the night. You would be correct. Uh, Performance of the night went to a CD. Uh, no, I'm not even going to joke that it was a uh, our, our 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 pal, the uh, the 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 acronym that uh, escapes me now as as I'm looking at this. Uh, CLD CLD was what I was going for. Our performance of the nights went to Gunnar Nelson and Jake Hadley. Uh, yeah, fair enough. It was a pretty uh, strong stoppage there. The pair of body shots and Gunnar Nelson doing what he does best. I guess. Uh, Ash Moo's not getting uh, any love for his uh, violent ending of Sam Patterson. Someone had to be the odd guy out. Uh, Better luck next time. All right. And better luck next time for all of you. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are going to be back next month with another UFC post show. Uh, We thank you very much. And that wraps up our UFC 286 post show.